So turn with me in your Bibles, please, if you would, to the book of uh, <clears throat> 1 Kings chapter 19. I want to share with you, welcome everybody. You all happy and good? Yes, sir. Praise God. Thank you for telling me you are, even if you're not. Hallelujah. It's always a good thing to make a good confession. I hope you are good. Praise God. It's a special week for us. It's uh, today. Yes. Today. 12 years ago tonight, on a Tuesday night, October the 7th, yes. Pastor Jenny and I met with six individuals in our home, and we started Promise of Life Church 12 years ago tonight, praise God, and uh, three of them over a course of time went on with their lives and, and left, that's fine, but, but other than Jenny and I, three of them, six original founding members, uh, three of them are still here. Praise God. One, my wonderful mother. Would you stand, Mom? We appreciate your support all these years. Praise God. And many more. And one is uh, my precious mother-in-law that uh, even though I put the joke up on the screen of Noah kicking the mother-in-law <laughs> off the ark, uh, if she was there and I was there, I would let her stay. Praise God. I just, just wanted her to know how much I love her. She's at home. I don't think she's here tonight, but she is still here. And Miss Precious, Miss Marjorie Ann Dyke, uh, she's dealing, uh, she's at home tonight. She's uh, just get, getting over some attacks on against her body, but she's getting the victory, praise God. But, uh, but she, she was there, right there at the very first service, October 7th, 2008. Long time ago. Feels longer than maybe it's been. There's lots, so much has happened. I think it feels longer, Jenny, because so much has transpired. Yes. So much has happened in 12 years. 12 years is not that long when you think about it, but, but there's so much that God has done. It's like we've been on a fast track. Yes. And of course, uh, the next week more came and the next week more came and then Lorraine decided to not backslide anymore and she started coming, praise God. And, and, and Taylor still wanted to hold off a little bit. And then Rosita, I think, joined next. And then Wayne. And then Lorraine finally joined, became a member. And then finally Taylor got saved and he joined, praise God. And then Willie showed up. And then, then a number of other people started coming. And then we went to the cave of Adullam, praise God, on St. Barbara Boulevard, Lorraine's house. Praise God for somebody that let us come to their home. Beautiful, beautiful new house, new, ba new basement. Not finished basement, but it was just the perfect place for us. We couldn't have asked for a better place. And we grew there. Taylor had uh, hair like an afro back then. You wouldn't believe it now if you saw it. He had an afro back then, a real legitimate bona fide afro. We had professionals come to appraise him and they actually gave a certificate that said, this is a true afro. Praise God. And uh, what happened to it, Brother Taylor? I don't know what happened to it. And he started leading, singing over time. And we had 88 people that came finally after that 15 months. And then we came into this building and the rest is history. Praise yeah. God. And, and we're, we're, on, we're, we're just celebrating tonight because 12 years has come and gone. This whole, of course, Sunday was a celebration, but tonight's especially special. And so I want to I share the same thing I shared Sunday as I said I would repeat it for those of you that, uh, that want, you know, wanted to get it live. But I'm going to go a little quicker than I did on Sunday because there's a couple extra things about the 12-year anniversary that I would like to share. Just short, just five minutes at the end, but I want to get through the, the first part first and then I'm going to talk a little bit about um, something the Lord said to me last week when I was praying about the 12-year anniversary. So can we start there? And I, I'm not going to read all of this to you for sake of time, but this is the, the basic storyline here is we've got this mighty man. Are you with me? Yes. 
Can I go? Some of you have been telling me, Pastor, you talk way too slow. You need, you need to speed up. No, some of you have been emailing me, Pastor, please speed up. It, it's dragging. It drags. We feel the drag. If you just talk faster, then the thing wouldn't drag so much. So I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to obey you, and I'm going to talk fast. Heavenly Father, help their ears speed up and listen with my lips. Praise God. Let their hearts be open for the seed. I'm not just gently throw. I'm not gently laying it in the soil. I'm casting it into them tonight quickly as I run on by. Let their hearts pick it up. Let their hearts catch vision and revelation. Lord, let them catch it. Lord, it's a catching more than a teaching tonight. It's a declaration. It's a reminding. It's an instruction about what you've shared for the season, for this time, and for what's coming. Lord, let them catch it tonight. In Jesus' name, I thank you, precious Holy Spirit, that they stay with me and, uh, and, and, and they receive what you want for them tonight. In Jesus' name. So this guy, Elijah, this great man of God, great prophet, he's a man like we are. James talks about him in his book, the epistle to the church, and he says, as Elijah was a man that likes, like, like sufferings we have, like, like, you know, he's like us. He was so great and powerful, but he was also a natural man, and he went through problems. He went through issues. He got afraid. He went through things. In other words, in other words, we don't, he's a, he's a great man, we, but we don't put him on a pedestal, James saying. He's saying he's just like us. When he spoke, he believed God. When he prayed, God listened to him. And, and so basically, he comes, he says to Ahab, because of the sin and everything going on, there's not going to be any rain until I, te- until I say. And there wasn't rain. And he goes on, remember, then he goes to the brook and then he goes to Zarephath. All that's happening in that three years. And he comes back and he says to Ahab, now there's going to be rain. The Lord says there's going to be rain. So go eat and drink. I'm going to, before, sorry, before he gets to that, he comes to Ahab and he says, now you bring all these de- de- demonized prophets and we're going to have a showdown because God wants, uh, God wants a revival to happen. And so they come, the 400 prophets of the grove stay away. They were, they, they, they decided not to come. They, I guess they knew they were going to lose. But the 400 prophets of Baal, they come and, and there's the showdown, the fire falls, everything. He slays the 400 prophets, remember? Then he goes over to Ahab and he says, the rain's coming. In other words, we've dealt with the sin now. The glory of God's going to show up. Go eat and drink. I'm going to go pray. So the carnal man, he's a covenant man, Ahab, but he represents the carnal church. He goes eating and drinking and stuffing his face with pie. But the spiritual man that represents a spiritual church, he goes and puts his head between his knees and he starts to birth things in the spirit. And there's a big difference. God don't need Ahab's, he needs Elijah's. And he prays and he sees the little, the little cloud and by faith he says, that's it. Tell, tell Ahab, you better get going unless the rain overtake him. And so he comes down, Ahab's going, he's got the best horse because he's the, he's the king, he's got the best. And even with the fastest horse in the land, the man of God, the hand of the Lord comes, he girds up his loins and he runs supernaturally like super like like Superman like you saw in the movie back yonder seven the 70s you know seriously God's hand came on him and he outran a horse physically naturally not not in a vision not mystical he actually ran faster than a horse that's not possible but it is when God comes on you it wasn't possible for Samson to kill a thousand men either but when God came on him he killed a thousand men he ripped a lion in half with his bare hands that's not possible unless God comes on you and it's not possible to outrun a horse and chariot unless God comes on you And the spirit church outran and was more effective than the carnal church. And there was a showdown. Now he goes over, this great prophet at the height of his his ministry goes over to Jezreel. That's where Ahab's going. That's the capital of Samaria, which is the northern kingdom of Israel. 
Okay, there's the southern kingdom in Judah, and then there's the northern kingdom of Israel. That's why there's always two kings. There's a king over Israel and a king over Judah. And Ahab was the king over Israel, which is the northern kingdom. Samaria is, is another is a region within that Israel area. And, and Jezreel is the capital. And that's where the king lives. And that's where his ugly, evil wife, Jezebel, lives. We know she's ugly because the day she died, she was painting her face. She's so ugly, she had to put all this paint on her face. Jenny didn't agree with me on that. But anyway, I'm sticking by it, whether it's theologically sound or not. Praise God, I'm sticking by it. If she evil, she ugly too. Praise God. Some of the most evil people are probably the most beautiful. But anyway, we'll keep going. Hallelujah. Uh, so uh, anyway, he goes over to his wife who's in Jezreel at their home and he tells her what has just happened. The prophets have been slain. And she sends a message to Elijah and says, let it be so unto me. Let God do the same to me if by this time tomorrow I haven't put you, decapitated you and put your head on this platter. Now, what I, what I don't understand, I guess we, we don't understand and maybe we won't understand until we get to heaven, but uh, the evil of 400 men could not be compared to the evil of one woman. I'm not anti-woman, I'm just saying, I'm not saying nothing about women versus men, I'm just saying this woman had so much power of the devil in her that one woman possessed of hell could make up, 400 men couldn't intimidate the prophet. But one woman with hell's anointing on her, I hate to use that word because the devil doesn't have, shouldn't ever, you know, that word shouldn't be associated, but a dark, a dark power on her could get a man that was not afraid of 400 wow. and not afraid of the king to start to wear depends. And he started running. And he started running with his servant. Then he said, his servant, you stay here. I'm going to keep going. He goes out into the wilderness and uh, then he gives up. God didn't tell him to run, but he gives up. Because sometimes, remember James said, he's like us. Sometimes we fail. He gives up, he quits, he falls down. Then he asks God to kill him. There's no point living anymore. Kill me. I mean, he was at his lowest point. He's sleeping under the juniper tree. An angel comes. He can't even eat. He's so depressed. Yeah. An angel comes, makes him food, makes, gives him water, has, makes it again. Says, eat. You don't have strength. You're going to need this to go. He goes 40 days and nights in that strength. He gets to the mountain of God. He goes into a cave. He's all depressed. I'm giving you the synopsis. God comes to him and says, why are you here? When God asks you why you're there, it's a good indicator that you shouldn't be there. Yeah. Do you understand? Because he already knows why you're there, but he's, that's an indicator that something's wrong. And so he goes on this tirade about, I'm the only one left. Everybody seeks my life, blah, 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 blah. And God says, go on out up to the top of the mountain. He comes out of the cave. He goes up to the top and God demonstrates power. He demonstrates fire. He demonstrates an earthquake and he demonstrates a, a large wind probably like a hurricane or a tornado or something. And, and, and God authored all that, but God's instruction wasn't found in any of those dramatic things. But then there was a, st a still small voice that he heard and God was in that still small voice. What God was communicating to him is, you've got a woman that's after you, son. Just one ugly, evil woman. One, just one, not 400, just one. I can, I can swallow her in an earthquake. I can burn her with fire. I can make a tornado suck her off the earth forever. I can do all those things to protect you. But you've also got something greater than those things. You've got a little voice on the inside. No matter where she's coming at you, no matter how she broadsides you, surprises you, I warn you, you don't have to be afraid of one ugly, evil woman. You don't have to be afraid of her. 
That's what God was trying to communicate because he's running in fear for his life. And when God, so he, he does all this, that should be enough. That's his answer. That's his rescue. He comes back into the cave and God gives him a second chance. Why are you here? And instead of answering correctly, the, the fool answers wrong again. It, it, he's not, I'm not being disrespectful, but when God's given you, <laughs> it's like God says, I put before you life and death, choose life, and you still choose death, you're a fool. It's just a fact. When God offers something to you and says, I'm going to give you the, I'm going to show you something so that you know how to answer me. And I'm going to give you another chance and ask you the same question. And he answered the exact same words as the first time. Not one bit of difference. You don't, put, you don't test God. You don't push God like that. Not when he's done all this dramatic stuff for you. And he's given you your answer. He threw out a life raft to you. And you threw the life raft back at him and said, forget it. That's really what he was saying. And God took umbrage to that, and immediately he lost his anointing. Now, when I say he lost his anointing, he was still, the anointing still worked with him, but he lost the anointing of the primary prophet. In God's eyes, that office was no longer his. And so we pick it up now in verse 16, 15, and the Lord said unto him, go, and return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you come, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Saphat, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in your place. God replaced him. Do you see that? He didn't answer right. He, he, got, he let fear dominate his life instead of trusting in God. And he lost what was precious to him. And if you let fear dominate you, you'll lose what's precious to you. He let fear of an ugly, evil woman dominate him. And he lost the precious office that he stood in. Because now the anointing operated on him simply because the season for Elisha had not yet come for him to manifest as the prophet. So somebody still had to be in the lead. So the anointing was still on him. But he had lost the, the position in God's heart. You are the prophet. Now he says, go and anoint him in your place. I've replaced you. Do you understand? And he goes, and you read it down, and he departs and he finds Elisha plowing, verse 19. And he casts his mantle. Let's read that. And uh, verse, verse 19, so he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Sephardi, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he with the 12th and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle. His mantle. You see that? His anointing. Because that represented his office upon him. And then we won't for sake of time, but he says, can I go and say goodbye to my... And, and there's no encouragement from the prophet. He looks at him and he says, what have I got to do with you? Do whatever you want. He, he didn't beg him and say, oh, please come. I want to mentor you. I want to be your mentor. Like everybody talks about today. Let's sign a mentorship agreement. That wasn't what he said at all. He said, get out of here. I don't know. Why are you bugging me? Do whatever you want. You see, it was up to the man of God, the young man of God, to get over the emotions of rejection and of, well, you're not coddling me. You're not stroking me. You're not making this transition very easy, man of God. He had to get over all of that. He had to look and recognize, I need him more than he needs me. Yeah. 
And I don't care how he treats me or what he says or how he acts. My job is to be with him. And so I'm going to go and say goodbye and do so. He kills the oxen. He does, his, does the food. He goes, says goodbye to the parents and he runs. And the Bible says, and he ministered unto him. Ministered, that word in the Hebrew means menial task, like a servant or a waiter. Later we read that the, the king that was against them. Remember, they couldn't figure out why the Israelites knew what they were going to be before they were going to be there. And it was because Elijah, Elijah was telling it. Elisha was telling it. Remember, and, and, he, and they said, this is Elisha the prophet who used to pour water on Elijah's hands. They were referring to the seven to eight years that he served Elijah pouring water. Pouring water is a menial task. He made the fires. He cooked the food. He made the camp. He pulled down the camp. He set up the tents. He washed the clothes. He did all the stuff. N none of it looked like it was the prophet. But he was anointed as prophet in his place. But the anointing still worked with Elijah, even though God had replaced him because it wasn't time for Elisha to step into it yet. Yes. Are you with me? Now there's a parallel. I'm reading this in the early morning hours of August the, third, August the 2nd, and the Lord started speaking to me. And he said, son, you see the parallel with David. And I said, Lord, I, I, I started to see it. David, remember, Saul does wrong. Elijah say, uh, uh, Samuel says, you've lost the kingdom. Right. He decapitates Agag, remember? Yeah. And he reaches out and grabs him. Saul grabs him and rips his garment. And Samuel says, as you have ripped my garment, so the Lord has ripped the nation uh, and, and, and your place is king away from you. Yeah, and he leaves and he weeps that night for Saul. And God says, stop crying for him. Arise, fill your oil with your, your horn with oil and go unto Jesse of Bethlehem's house. I have chosen a king from among his sons. Yeah. And he goes, and of course, poor little David's out with the sheep. He's not even in the lineup. <laughs> He's not even in the lineup. Shows you what they thought of him. He's the runt of the litter. He's out doing the menial job and all the big Eliab and all the fancy guys are there. But you see, on that day, when he finally said, God's chosen none of these, bring me, that's it? No, I got one more. Well, then bring him. You should have done that at the beginning, Jesse. And he brings and God shows this is the one. King over Israel. Now, he anointed David then, but David didn't become king of Israel for 15 years. And the anointing had to still be on Saul or David. Why did David keep saying, I will not harm the Lord's anointed king? Did you notice that? He said, I will not put my hand forth against the Lord's anointed. He had many chances to kill him. And he kept saying, I will not touch the Lord's anointed king. And when finally Saul did fall in the sword, but he wasn't fully dead yet. And he knew they were going to torture him. And so one of the young men came and slew him and came to David thinking he had done a good job. And he said, did you not fear to slay the Lord's anointed king? Therefore you shall be slain. And his young men killed. The youth group got involved. The youth group were waiting for an opportunity to kill somebody. And they got it. Praise God for the youth group. In the New Testament, the youth group were also waiting to kill somebody. God didn't let them kill it. God struck down Ananias and Zephyr and the youth group came and carried them out. The youth are always involved with death. Praise God. I don't understand that, but you'll see that in the Bible. Let's move right along. Praise God. I want you to notice that David had been, he replaced Saul. He was the king in God's sight. But the anointing did not fully leave Saul because David called him the anointed king. The anointing did not fully leave Elijah because after he had thrown the coat on Elisha, there were 50 guys that came and he called fire down and roasted them. 
And then another group, and then a third group, the guy finally, there was still power happening with Elijah. But in God's sight, he had been replaced by Elisha. There was still an anointing on Saul, but in God's sight, he'd been replaced by David. Are you seeing the parallel? And the Lord started dealing with me in the early morning hours on August the 2nd. He said, do you see how Elijah, Elisha and David, there is a similarity there. Both were anointed, yet neither stepped into the fullness of their anointing until a season of servanthood, of humility, and of preparation passed. With David, it was 15 long years. With Elisha, it was seven to eight, about half the time. David served Saul, but also ran from him for a while. Elisha had a different experience. He didn't have to run from Elijah, but he served him. In menial, these are guys that are anointed. These are, this is how, this is where, this is where young ministers fail. Because they know they're anointed. They sense the anointing. They know there's a call to ministry. They can sense the beginnings of preaching. And yet they're asked to vacuum. And yet they're asked to just uh, count the cards on Sunday morning or do the offering or, or preach to the youth or do this or do that. But I'm, I'm called. You see, they haven't learned that God never, ever chooses people until they fulfilled the season of preparation. The Bible says many are called but very few are chosen. So God calls many fivefold offices, but because they disqualify in the season of servanthood, he never gets to choose them. Very few people are chosen because very few people pass the tests. A lot of Christians are going to get to heaven and God's going to say there was a fivefold office on your life. Either you didn't figure it out because you didn't pray or you knew about it, but you refused to submit to anybody. And that's why I couldn't, the, the calling anointing was on you, but the chosen anointing couldn't come on you because you never passed the test. Okay, now, the Lord started dealing with me about this. And he said, when Elisha and David were first anointed, he said that anointing separated them. It did not cause them to thrust into their destiny and fulfill their mission, but it separated, marked them. Do you understand? He called it a separation anointing to me. He said, Elisha, there was a separation anointing when he threw the mantle on him as he, as he plowed with the oxen. I was marking him. I was saying, you are destined to do this, but it's not going to happen unless you go through this season. Right. With David, the anointing oil in front of his brothers came on him in, in his home. What God was saying is, I'm anointing you to do this, but you're not going to step into it unless you do this season first. It's a separation anointing. It's a marked anointing. But the manifestation anointing of them actually stepping into their calling to fulfill their assignment only happened after a season of serving ended. This is the way, listen, if you want to know the way God works, I'm showing you because God works in patterns and he's the same in the new and the old in this capacity. He does the same thing today. He does not do it any differently. Nobody gets in the ministry. Nobody, God doesn't, doesn't let people skip, cut corners and skip things. Some people have a faster pace than other people. Some people, they're on a fast track, so to speak, but everybody goes through the same thing. Everybody goes through seasons of serving. Everybody. That's just the way God works. And so I saw that. He said, do you see that? The separation anointing and a season and then the anointing came on. Now, when did the anointing come on David? When he went into Hebron, the, he sat down and they anointed him. Those elders came and they anointed him. And now that's not the separation to mark him. That's the anointing for him to manifest his calling. Yeah. Then he became, he actually did what he was anointed 15 years ago to do, but now he's actually doing it. 
Now, you know, it's Elisha. All those years, he wasn't acting like a prophet. He was serving the prophet. That, that, that separation anointing was with the oxen. But now when Elisha, Elijah is caught up by the whirlwind and he takes the mantle from Elijah, that's when the anointing came on him to actually do his job yes. as the prophet that he was anointed seven years ago before, but he couldn't step into it until he got that mantle. Are you with me? So the Lord started dealing with me and he said, now there is the same, it is the same with you. He said, your separation anointing happened in a duality, unlike what you read in the Bible with them. They had a single occasion. He said, there was a duality with you. And sometimes not, not, there's a parallel here, but it, not everything is exact, 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 but you can see the hand of God in a parallel here. He said, there was a duality with you. I had to do it that way with you specifically. He said the reason why there was a duality, the first time the anointing came on you, it came on you from Dr. Dufresne when he laid hands on you in Peru. He, had, he didn't know who you were. He had you stand up. You were planning on going to Peru to live. You were out of my will, but I was intervening in your life. I had him stand you up in front of a thousand people, none of which knew you except the main pastor because you were planning on working for him. And he began to prophesy about your church, which you didn't want, which you had told me, God, I'm never pastoring. And then when he said, are you a pastor? You looked at him and said, no. <laughs> and Dr. Dufresne says, well, then I don't understand what this means, but I hear the spirit of God saying, and he began to prophesy about this church that the ants would come from all directions by the thousands, the thousands, the multiplied thousands. I see them coming. I see them coming from all corners of the compass, all spec. I see them coming from the north, the south, the east, and the west, and they're coming, they're coming in rank and file. They're coming, they're coming. Thousands are coming to your church. Son, are you a pastor? No. Do you plan on becoming a pastor? No. Well, then I don't know what that means, but I hear God saying they're coming to your church to so take it or leave it. Now that was a separation anointing. God was marking me. But because it had to have a second, because I, I was not positioned to accept that word. So God had to do it twice. At least David and Elisha were smart enough to accept it. I was too dumb. I didn't want to accept it. But God did that on purpose in 2004 to mark the time. Because 15 years later, like the parallel of David, we were going to come to our 2019 year. And that 15 years, see, the exact same parallel. When he was anointed, it was 15 years until the end of that season. And then the next year, he stepped into that. That's why God started showing me in 2017. This 15 years is almost up. And when this 15 years comes to a close, 2020 is going to, you're going to step into something. You're going to step into something greater, something new, something fresh. Are you with me? Really? So, so that was the first one in four. And then the second one was six years later in 2010. That's when this roof disappeared. And Dr. Dufresne saw the mantle come on here. But God had to do it that way with me because the first time he was marking the time frame, but I was not positioned. I was out of the will of God. He gave me six years to get rightly positioned, which I did. And then in 2010, being rightly positioned, that marking anointing, that separation anointing came again. Then he gave me six years to qualify and respond right to it. Because remember, the first church that had the mantle, I'm not talking the downtown church had it, and they operated properly in it. The uptown church that I was at for many years that had the mantle didn't know they had it because they never invited the prophet in. And certain things will only be spoken by a prophet. So they didn't even know it, so they couldn't react right to it. Their failure was not having the right person in the pulpit. Then the second church that I was at and worked at for many years and loved, that anointing was on that church. That mantle moved to that church. God had me. 
God had me in all, both churches. Out of the four churches, I, I wasn't alive when the first church had it. So I couldn't exactly be there, could I? But God and his mastery, you couldn't make it up. God planted us there till I would be under that mantle, under serving what would be on me. Do you see? Serving what would be on me. And then moved... We went to all these churches looking for a home church. Every one of them, the Lord said, no, no, no. It was very important that I went to that church in Mississauga because he wanted me serving the mantle which would come upon you. See, that attitude of servanthood is still there. Even before the timeline started, that attitude of servanthood had to be there. So uh, all of that, you know, that's fine. But I'm just saying I needed to position myself And then six years, that separation came in 2010. Then I had a, a qualification because they lost it. The first one, they didn't bring the preacher to, to tell them. The second one brought the right preacher in. He told him. Some of you were in that service when that happened. Marjorie Ann was in that service when that happened. When Dr. Dufresne had an open vision and he saw the mantle come on that church. Their failure was not bringing in the right voice. Their failure was a disregard for what the voice of the prophet said. Because it was never talked about. It was never prayed out. It was never extolled. It was never reverenced. It was never honored. I didn't even know it existed until Dr. Dufresne told me himself. Because they never mentioned it once from the pulpit, not one single time. When you show dishonor and not a reverence for the holy things of God, you're going to lose it. So it was part of the qualification season for me to talk about it right, for me to pray about it, for me to just like when you pass a baton, you got to be running at a certain pace and you got to pick that thing before that line, otherwise you disqualify. In that six years from 10 to 16, it was our baton passing phase. That anointing to separation come, but God was watching, are you going to do what the other church did? And I said, no, I will not. And God said, good, finally I can trust you. It's been a long time. Then he started talking to us at the end of 16, which was 12 years. He said, now, since that first time it came, do you remember? Are you following me? And then he says, now you got three more years before you before the season is over. And then you're going to step into this. You're going to step into it in 2020. It's going to be a year, year takeoff. And I said, praise God. And so in 17, we started preaching on some things in 18 and 19. And then now we're in 20. Now, the Lord started showing me this parallel between Elisha and David and how they had got it as a separation. There was a season and then they got it as a manifestation to execute their office. And he said, there's a parallel. And he said, this season of time, you had two, a duality of the, of the separation, which I've just explained to you, 2004, 2010. He said, there's been a season that you have had to pass, which you have. And he said, now, now stay with me. He said, now, as David, where was David when he entered into to receive the greater anointing, so to speak, not just to separate him, but to actually operate? He went into Hebron. Yeah. He said, that's why I called this your Hebron year, because this is where you're receiving that. Yeah. He said, but likewise, Elisha, where did Elisha go? Because he had the same kind of experience. Where was he when he received his anointing to execute his office? Not just to separate him, but to now operate as a prophet. He entered the place called the Plain of Jordan. If you know anything about a map, just try to picture it. You've got Israel, and then you've got the Jordan River, which is the eastern division, north and south boundary line. Everything on this side belongs to Israel. Everything on that side belongs to the country of Jordan, 
right now, presently. The Jordan River runs north and south, and it's the boundary line. So what they were doing was Elisha and Elijah were walking from Jericho, which is in Israel, and they're walking east. And they're walking, and then they go down the river, up the river, and they crest the eastern bank of the river, and then they keep walking in present day, the country of Jordan, but back then there wasn't country divided like that. But on the east side of Jordan, there's a plain called the Jordan, the plain of Jordan. In that location, that is where he received that mantle, his anointing to execute his office. So are you with me? The Lord said something to me. He's trying to bring me, he's trying to get me up to speed. He said, therefore, the plain of Jordan for Elisha represented his Hebron. Are you with me? I said, yes, it did, Lord, because both places they received that anointing. He said, that's the same for you. He said, I've been talking to you all these years of preparation, all these years in the separation anointing that you've been marked and ready and talking and qualifying and all the serving and being honorable and all that stuff. He said, but I told you in 17 and 2020, it's a change of season. In 2020, you're going to end this 15 years and you're going to pick up like David picked it up. Are you with me? He said, so therefore, your 2020 year is not just a Hebron year. It is also a plain of Jordan year. Are you seeing the parallel? I said, yes, Lord. He said, I would like to show you some parallels in the life of Elisha leading up to his plain of Jordan mental experience. And I said, okay. And then he said these words to me. Can I read them to you? trying to go fast, but Taylor's uh, slowing me a lot down today. Uh, Taylor, I'm going to forgive you once. Let's try not to do it again. You're welcome. Can I quote you this? Did you notice that as Elisha entered the place to receive the anointing for his own ministry, which is the plain of, of Jordan, which was his Hebron year, that there were first three distinct locations he had to go through, Bethel, Jericho, and Jordan. So likewise, I have taken you through three seasons before your Hebron year. They are a direct parallel to his. What I spoke to you about in these three seasons match exactly the three locations of Elisha. So he said, study my word and I'll show it to you. Now, now, I, I didn't know this at the time. God had to show this to me, but look at the mastery of God. I want you to understand his hand is on our church. If you take nothing else, take something that God has been watching us and God's been guiding us even without us hardly even realizing it. So I studied, he went to Bethel first. Do you know what Bethel means? Bethel means the, I mean technically the house of God, but theologically it means the place of revelation or the place that God speaks. That's why in Genesis 12, 13, Abraham went there for God to speak to him. And then in Genesis 28, Jacob went there for God to speak to him. And, and you can always read, people went back to Bethel, the house of God or the place of revelation for God to reveal or speak things. He went to Bethel first. And the Lord said, I took you through three distinct seasons before your plain of Jordan, your Hebron year. They were 2017, 2018, and 2019. Remember, we knew those were seasons leading up to something special, which was in 20, which we're in right now. And so the first thing, I don't know if you remember, if you were here, if you weren't, then maybe you'll hear it for the first time tonight. But the ones that were here know what I said. I said in 2017 repeatedly, I said, I keep hearing the Spirit of God say that this is a year of Him speaking. He's speaking some things. He's speaking some things. God is speaking to us about the mantle and about different things, Joshua and about different things. That was a year of speaking. 
What does Bethel mean? The place of speaking. Then he went to a place called Jericho. Jericho was the first location that the Israelites went to attack into entering the promised land. It's a place of beginnings and it's a place of firsts. And the Lord said to me, he went to Jericho as the second stop on his journey to the plain of Jordan. And he said, and in 2018, what did you keep telling the people? What did I keep telling you to tell them? This is a year of starting. This is a year of starting. It's when Africa started. It's when IPM Israel started. It's when, it's where Delaware started. Everything seemed to start in 18. And the campaign started with Jericho. Jericho represented a place of beginnings, a place of starting. I didn't know this parallel when it was happening. All I know is I heard God say, tell the people it was a year of speaking and it's a year of starting. Mm -hmm. Can you see the parallel of what God was doing without us even knowing? There was scripture for it, but he didn't reveal the scripture yet. He only revealed it after the obedience was done. So there was a place of speaking and a place of starting. Then we went to, he went to Jordan, which was 2019 for us. And what does Jordan represent? Jordan, I'll take a couple more extra minutes because it's very important. Jordan represents a place of separation, a place of confirmation, validation, establishment, and settling. And that year 19, I kept saying all year long, without knowing this scripture, I kept saying, guys, it's a year of settling. God spoke some things, he started some things, and he's settling some things. He spoke some things in 17, he started some things in 18, he's settling some things in 19, and I don't know what all that means, but I'm just saying what I hear the Spirit saying, and we're about to enter into our takeoff year of 2020. I did not see the parallel of Elisha, but Elisha went to Bethel where God speaks, he went to Jericho where God starts, and he went to Jordan where God settles as he was on his journey into the plain of Jordan, which was his Hebron year, to receive the mantle. Just like us. You see how God works with patterns. Now, I said, well, Lord, explain to me how this Jordan thing applies. How, what does it mean? I know. So he started teaching me. He started teaching me from the Bible. And he gave me two examples, one in the Old Testament, one in the New. He said, look at the children of Israel. He said, the children of Israel, when they left the 40 years of the wilderness, they had to go through Jordan. And did you notice what happened? When they struck, when the priests, high priests and the priests went in, the water spread. Whenever you see water spread, it's a separation of waters, but it represents symbolically a separation of seasons. What God was saying is, I am validating and confirming and establishing you as a nation. Your old season of 40 years in the wilderness is over. And now your new season of the promised land is started. It was a demarcation line. Jordan is a demarcation line. God separated the waters, separated the seasons. Even when the Israelites came out of 400 years of bondage, what did God do? He come to the Red Sea and he separates the waters. It was a massive season of separation. He was saying 400 years is over. And now a new season awaits you. And he separated the seasons by the waters and they went through. Now on a smaller level, 40 years has passed. Now he separates the Jordan and they go through. It always represented a time that God separated, that God was validating and confirming. He was saying it's changing now. It's the end of one and the beginning of another. And I'm verifying and validating and settling and confirming you that you are now entering into this new season. Are you with me? Now look at the parallel with us in 19. God was saying the season of 15 years is over. You have been faithful. You've been found not wanting, but you've been found faithful. I'm letting you know all this is over. And 2020, this new season, 2020 represents the new. 
the beginnings of the new. It's about to start. 19 represented that season of separation and validation from God. Now in the New Testament, Jesus comes. He comes up to the Jordan. He's in his 30th year. He comes up to the Jordan after, after being faithful for all those years. Why did he pick 30? He didn't pick it. Mosaic law says a rabbi cannot start their ministry until they're 30. So this was not his choice. This was obedience to the law. But for all those years, all those years, really Jesus in some ways was marked in 12 years old because everybody recognized the anointing was on him. And then he went another 18 years of preparation until he hit 30. But he comes now to the Jordan. It wasn't just as an act of baptism that because we need to be baptized. He, did, he wasn't just doing it as an example to us. He wasn't just doing it as an example to submit to the prophet of the day like every young minister needs to submit to somebody over him and he was submitting to John's ministry. It's, it was that, but it wasn't only that. It's far greater than that. Why did he go to the Jordan? Because the waters didn't part like, like they did with the prophet and with, and with you know, like we saw before when, when they came the Israelites came with Joshua. The waters didn't part, but what happened is Jesus parted the waters himself by his baptism. He went into the water, and why are we baptized? We go, in, we, we go under the water, which represents death and burial. We're saying we're dying to our old life, and we're resurrecting to new life in Christ. That's why we get water baptized. It's symbolic. What was Jesus doing? He was going, it's the same principle. It was a demarcation line. There was a separation of waters in the Jordan. Jesus separated the waters with his own baptism. And he was saying, I am The old season is gone. Yes. Everything now in the past is the past. And now I come up to my ministry. Do you see how Jordan was a separation moment for him? It was the marking of an end and the beginning of a new. Oh, now, it was also a validation as God validated the tribes, as God confirmed with them, you are my people, go in. God also validated his own son. Because a voice came from heaven at the Jordan and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then a measure of the anointing, the dove came and rested upon him. Not the anointing for ministry, but the anointing as God's confirmation. I'm letting you know, it was audible, everybody heard it. I'm letting everybody know, you're my boy. And I'm pleased with you. All the past is gone and a new season has dawned. You see how important Jordan represents. It represents the end of one and the beginning of another. Now we also see something else now with Elisha just for a second. Now watch now. We see Elisha going through the Jordan with his spiritual father, Elijah. And what did this father do? He hit the waters with his mantle, his garment, and the waters parted. So Elisha is going through the Jordan. We talked about the Israelites going through. We've talked about Jesus going through. But now watch Elisha. He goes through the Jordan with his father. And there's a demonstration of power by the father. Do you see that? Yes. It was letting him know everything in the past is over. This is a brand new season. This is a time now. I'm validating you. You're about to come. Elisha, you're about to enter into a brand new place. Now look at Jesus, exactly like Elisha. He entered the Jordan and it was a separation moment and there was a demonstration of power by the Father. Elijah was the spiritual father, but with Jesus it was the heavenly Father and there was a demonstration of power by speaking. 
That was a demonstration of power. He spoke audibly from heaven and a dove came down to rest upon Jesus. Did you see that? So both men had the father get involved with power and that was a measure of the anointing, but they were about to get something greater. Elisha was about to get the mantle. Jesus had a measure of power demonstrated by the father and the dove coming, but he was about to get something greater. What was Jesus's Hebron year? What was Jesus's plane of Jordan experience? As soon as he went through the separation waters of Jordan and God validated and established and confirmed with power, the season is gone, it's over, and a new season dawns, son. What, the first thing, what did God do? The Spirit drove him into the wilderness. He never had the power of God when he entered but when he came out 40 days later, he came out in the power of the Spirit. And in that anointing, he ministered for three and a half years. So he picked up his mantle, his assignment, his anointing in his Hebron year, in his plain of Jordan, which for Jesus was called the wilderness. Do you see God's pattern? God does things in patterns. Do you understand? He had Elisha go through it, go to the plain, pick up the anointing, minister. He had Jesus go through it, go, go, go into the wilderness, pick up the anointing, and go minister. Yes, sir. Praise God. He is us doing the same. Yeah. Even, even on the same measure, he had the Israelites go through it. Yeah. Separation. Now they're on the other side. And then the man, the captain of the army of the hosts of the Lord shows up to Joshua with the drawn sword. That was when he received his assignment. That's when he received his mantle. And then immediately they enter into their ministry, which is taking those cities and occupying the land. You always, you see that same pattern being operated by God. And so the Lord started showing me something. He started saying, son, I'm trying to say all that so you could see that Jordan represents a time of separation, the end of an old, the beginning of a new, and a time where God validates, a time where God confirms, establishes, and settles some things. He's putting a stamp on somebody and he's saying, this season is done, a new season is beginning. I'm pleased with you. He did that with the children of Israel. He did that with Elisha. He did that with Jesus. And he's done that with us. That's what he was showing me on August the 2nd. He was saying, son, you don't know it because you've just been doing it. You had your head down and you're plowing hard. But you didn't know that there's actually scripture to back up what you've been doing. And I'm here to show you that this is your year of the plain of Jordan. This is your year of the wilderness. This is your year of Hebron. And you are to pick up not just what you are marked with, but what is going to manifest it in your future. This is your year. Jesus went through it. Joshua went through it. Elisha went through it. David went through it. They went through it. It's the same thing. He was showing me the parallels. Are you with me? He said, you've gone through one, two, and three. You've gone through Bethel, Jericho, and Jordan. You've gone through 17, 18, and 19. And then I had a mini vision. My eyes were closed. My eyes weren't open. It wasn't an open vision, but it was a mini vision, which is the lowest. Dad Kagan called it a high revelation. Or, or, or a spiritual revelation. It's where your eyes are closed and you can either see an image or a movie. Do you understand? That's what, that's what Paul had on the road to Damascus. People say he saw Jesus. He didn't see Jesus the way you think. His eye, he was blind. His eyes were closed and Jesus appeared to him. Jesus can appear to you when your eyes are closed. It's the lowest level of three levels of spiritual visions. But you see and it's clear and you could paint it. I mean, it's clear. 
but, but your eyes are closed. An open vision is when your eyes are open. But I had a mini, about a three second in length, mini spiritual vision with my eyes closed after he got all this over to me. And it was like a movie screen for three, three seconds, maybe five to five seconds, between three and five, very short. But it was like the camera, can you picture the Jordan River? Now, remember, the water's gone oh, on the side. And so they've gone through on dry ground. Now they've got the eastern bank. Israel's back here. They're walking east. They go through the western bank, then the eastern bank. Now the plane where the mantle's coming is on this side. Uh, the, wherever this camera was in this mini vision, it was on the eastern bank, just on the ground. Because the image was looking up. I could see it. It's like I was lying on the ground looking up. And I saw two men walking just for about three to five seconds. And they looked like what you'd see in the movie with those long kind of dress looking things, very coarse material, rugged looking, rough material, not smooth or fine with, with, with sandals. And, and I could see them and they were walking away from me. Their backs were to me because they're walking into the plain of Jordan. He showed me in a mini vision, Elijah and Elisha walking. And I could see they were talking together. And then the vision ended. And I said, Lord, what did I, it shocked me. I said, Lord, what did I just, what just happened there? What was that? And I heard the Holy Ghost speak to me. He said, from the moment they crested the Eastern bank and the entire time they were in the plain of Jordan, he, he, he went past the bank. He went into the plain. He did some things. Then he came back to the edge of the bank. That is 2 Kings 2, verse 9 to 13. It shows you in all those five verses, the time they crest the bank, they walk, all this stuff happens, and they come back to the bank. He said that experience, you just saw the beginnings of it, of them walking away into the plain. He said, but that whole experience represents your Hebron year. It represents the plain of Jordan because it was the plain of Jordan for them. So would you read it with me very quickly? Please read it with me. Second Kings chapter two, it's only five verses, but it's important that you see it. Second Kings chapter two, starting in verse nine. And it came to pass when they were gone over the Jordan that Elijah said unto Elisha, see, I saw them talking. I saw them, but it was at the very beginning. Elisha said unto Elijah, Elijah said unto Elisha, ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be done unto thee. But if not, it shall not be done unto thee. And it came to pass as they still went on, they're walking eastward into the plain of Jordan and talked, that means there was fellowship, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. It came right in the middle of them and made them split. Do you understand? And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So your, your children's Bible that shows him going up in the chariot of fire is not scriptural. The chariot of fire was not there to take him. The chariot of fire was there to part them. He went up in a tornado. And Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took also up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank Jordan. So the Lord said, what you saw in that mini vision was the beginnings of the plain of Jordan experience for Elisha. And it was the place where he received his anointing. It represents the 
wilderness where Jesus received his anointing. It represents Hebron where David received his anointing. And it represents 2020 where you're going to receive your anointing. Are you with me? David, he has used it as a macrocosm for me. But he's taken this part of Elisha and used it as a microcosm within the macrocosm. David is the big picture, but he's used Elisha so I can understand the years lead, the three years leading up and what 2020 holds and also some of the years afterward, which we're not getting into now, but I'm just telling you the first part. So he's used this Elisha parallel as a mini, as, a, as kind of like a, you know, like the Russian, the Russian stacking dolls. You need a small one within the big one, right? Yeah. And they go right down to the size, right? They start this big and they go down to this big because something small is within something big. The Elisha is the little doll and the David is the big doll. There's something small within the big. Yes. So, I, he, so I'm seeing this and, he, and I read these verses and he said to me, the 2020 year started when you crested the Eastern Bank and it will end when you come back to the bank. Are you with me? Everything that happened in the plane is 2020. It started when you stepped over onto the plane and you're going to walk and do some stuff and some stuff's going to happen. And then you're going to come back at the end of the year and you're going to stand on the edge of the plane at the edge and then on the end of edge of the bank. He said that whole time in that plane represents the wilderness season, the Hebron season or the 2020 season. Do you understand? And he said, now I'm going to show you what 2020 holds. It was divided into four sections. He said, two sections are done and two sections are yet to happen. I said, but now let me tell you this. Pause. Let me tell you this. All year, Kim, I've been knowing this is an important year because we've been saying it for three years. And I said to him in January, Lord, tell me, tell me, tell me what's going on. What do I need to do? I don't want to miss something. And then, of course, we had the attack with the lawsuit and the people lying about me and wanting, saying that I broke the law because I told somebody to forgive and the cops arrested me and, you know, all that nonsense. And, and they were going to put me in jail for six months and all that nonsense. And then God delivered us from it. It was a bit of a distraction, you know, and that it didn't help when Randy showed up in March and all he could do was laugh and tell me how to make hot chocolate in the big house, you know teach me how to, you know, what a shift shank or a makeshift knife looks like. I don't need to know that, Brother Randy. But through all the joking, uh, through all the joking, he said to me, everything's going to be fine. If you really were going to go, God would have showed me. And he said, he hasn't showed me, which means you're not going. He said, I want you to go. <laughs> because he said, I think you'd have fun. But he said, you're not going to go. And of course, God delivered us. So, but I mean, all that happened at the beginning of the year. And, and so I was a bit distracted, but I was still praying through all of that. Most of my faith was being used not to go to prison. But I was still praying through all of that. Lord, you got to show me this is an important year. W what am I supposed to do? And he didn't answer me. January, February, March didn't answer me. April, now we're into COVID. And I'm still praying. What am I supposed to do? He's not answering me. And I'm coming J April, May, June, July. I'm still praying, Lord, this is the seventh month, July. You haven't said anything to me about this big 2020 Hebron year. As far as I can tell, nothing's happening. And I've probably missed the train. And I've been telling everybody that we're getting on the train and they're all looking to me for instruction. And I'm probably standing on the platform and the train is gone. What am I going to do? Oh, God, show me. And he's not answering me. I'm getting more nervous as the time is passing. But then on August the 2nd, in his perfect timing, he answered me. Yeah. And he showed me there are four sections of this plain of Jordan on of the 2020 year. Two have been accomplished and two are yet to be accomplished. He said, would you, he always likes you to show interest. Yes. 
He said, would you like me to tell you what they are? And I said, yes, Lord. I've been asking for, uh, now it's been a total of almost what, seven months in full, because this was the August 2nd. So I've been asking for seven solid months. You haven't said a word. Please reveal it to me. And he said to me, the first season represented fellowship with his spiritual father. Did you notice how they talked? They counted the cost for ministry. They fellowshiped together. There was an encouragement given by the spiritual father. And the Lord said, and the first part of this year has already happened for you. And it represented you spending time with your spiritual parent, Pastor Nancy, and secondly, Brother Greer. And the encouragement and the help and the discussions and the strength that came from those discussions. He said, notice, now watch this, this is very interesting. I couldn't have planned this. He said, listen to this. Never once since 2008 has there ever been a year that passed, including 2008, where we have not seen Pastor Nancy a minimum of two to seven times per year. This is the first year since we've met her that we've only seen her once. Now, I know COVID had a part to play, and I'm not trying to get into my mind about it. I'm just saying the Lord said in this season, this season, you were, he only saw, he only had fellowship at the beginning. Nothing else in the plain of Jordan did he have fellowship. He said, and you were only to see her one time this year at the beginning, just like him. And in fact, he said to me, because I was trying to push Pastor Nancy to have October camp meeting in California, because she was going to cancel it. And I got on the phone and I, and I called her and I said, Pastor, please don't cancel it. I said, even if there's four of us that come, just don't cancel it. I'm coming. Other ministers will come. And then when the Lord started revealing this to me, the Lord said, if she doesn't cancel it at your request, you're still not going. Because this is a season of separation and isolation. The only time you are permitted to see her was the beginning this entire year is a year for you to be alone. So then I started praying, oh God, please tell her to cancel it. (laughs) We did. We, see, we got serious about it. We got in God's face. And the next thing I heard, she was canceling it, thank God. Because if she had done it after I pressured her and then I didn't even show up. And she would, I don't think she would have understood all the stuff that I, I couldn't explain this. So thank God she canceled it. But the Lord said, you had at the beginning of the year, just like him, that's the parallel. Nothing else in the rest of the year. You're not permitted to see anybody else the rest of the year. This is a season of isolation for you. The second thing he said, did you notice, son, that he was told to keep his eye on the prize and a massive major distraction came to pull his attention away. That distraction was a chariot made of fire and a horse made of forces made of fire. And the Lord said there was a massive distraction to get his eyes off where his eyes should be. And he said, COVID was your chariot and horse of fire. He said, notice that, notice even the, even the timing is accurate. The beginning was fellowship and then there was the chariot. The beginning was, there was some fellowship and normalcy of life for the first two and a half months of the year. And then all hell broke loose. And the biggest distraction that has ever come in any of our given lives has happened this year. I'm not saying God authored COVID. I'm just saying that's what God said to me. I don't know how to explain that to you because he's been saying for three years, 2020 something. So this was all, I don't understand that. This was planned by him, but he was not authoring COVID. So I don't understand that. All I'm telling you is that he said COVID was the horse of fire. 
Can you imagine how hard it would have been for Elisha? He's never seen horses made of fire. I mean, just regular horses are nice to look at. But a horse made of fire and a chariot made of fire, this is a wonder. This is a miracle. Can you imagine how hard it was? His gaze wanted to look at that miracle, at that wonder. And yet he knew, if I look as much as I want to, it's amazing. Let me look upon this wonder. If I do it, I lose. He said, you must look at me, not the distraction. If you don't look at me, you don't get the mantle. And the Lord said to me, he said, you have passed the second test without realizing it even was a test. He said, if you had slowed down and done what other pastors have done, and kept your church closed and stopped the preaching and made catch your, if you had got your eyes on the wonder of COVID, look at all this, what's happening. Oh my God, we need to be safe and we need to be protected and let's just take a break and let's keep the church closed to hear everybody say, if you had done that, he said, you would not be getting this mantle. Yeah. He said, but, and I can put my hand on the Bible and swear to you on my own blood that this is true. I felt the Holy Ghost was still helping me, Lorraine. I just didn't understand how serious it was. I kept feeling the Holy Ghost urging me. Ever been on a horse and you, and you, you kind of, come on, Willie, come on. Well, sorry, Willie, I don't want to accuse you. I had a horse named Willie once, so don't, forgive me. Uh, Bucky, come on, Bucky, come on. And you're hitting that and you're kicking that thing. You're trying to get it to go faster. I felt like the Holy Ghost was on my back kicking me. Come on, Craig. Come on, Craig. Because sometimes on that three months of live stream only, and I'm looking out there and there's nobody in the sanctuary except Taylor laughing in the sound booth at me and, and, and saying amen once in a while. Praise God. You are a great, you are a great supply, Taylor. And, and Peter's snickering in the room over there. And there's nobody but a camera. And as far as I'm concerned, nobody's on the other side of the camera. And I have to preach to nobody. I have to pre and the anointing would come. And I would step into it, but it took faith for me to do that. And it took faithfulness to keep doing it four times a week instead of two. And I kept feeling the Holy Ghost say, come on, son. And I kept running. And when I got tired and said, Lord, let me, nobody else is doing this. Not that I know of. Come on, son. And I kept doing it. What was I doing? I wasn't getting my eye on the wonder of the laziness of let's just take an extended break. I kept my eye on the vision, on the calling. I kept my eye where it was supposed to be. And I can honestly tell you I did. And I didn't even know it was a test. I just knew the Holy Ghost was pressing me on because he wanted us to maintain as if nothing had happened. He wanted us not to let the fire, horsemen of fire, dictate our vision. He didn't want COVID to dictate how our church was going to run. If we were going to buy a plane, if we were going to buy a property, if we were going to raise 379000 in a year of drought. He didn't want any of that to dictate. He just said, you run, keep your eyes and you run. And he said, I told you I'm looking for runners in Hebron. And I kept preaching it. And I kept preaching it. And I kept preaching it. And even when we came back in June, I overshot by having too many services and got out of the will of God. Yeah. Till he pulled me back after six weeks and said, you're not doing right. I don't want you to have those Friday night services every week. But I mean, I was, if any, if I'm going to get accused of something, it's going to be working too hard, not working, not, not hard enough. Do you see that that COVID thing was that distraction? And God wanted me to keep my eyes fixed. And I did. And I passed test two, not even knowing it was a test. 
And he said, now the third section is he took his own garment and he ripped it in two pieces. And I said, he's telling me this on August 2nd. I'm saying, God, you better show me what's going on about this now. This doesn't sound very friendly. Do you want me to rip my clothes? I know he doesn't mean physically. I said, I'll rip every sweater I got if that's what pleases you. He says, now, you notice, son, he ripped his garment third season, and the fourth season, he picked up the mantle. Right. Now, he said, did you notice the picking up is at the end of the story, not the beginning? He said, you're going to pick this mantle up at the end of the year, not at the beginning. And he said, I'd already talked to you through Willie. Because the word of the Lord came to Willie earlier in the year and she came and spoke to me by the Spirit and said, Pastor, the reason God has said this is the year of takeoff and it's the year of picking up the mantle is because as a plane takes off, it's the last thing it does. Its purpose is to fly. But all the preparation has to happen and the acceleration has to happen. Everything has to happen. At the last second, it breaks the law of gravity and it fulfills its purpose at the end of the runway. And she said, by the Spirit, so the mantle, all this is preparation, all this is acceleration, but as the, you fulfilling your purpose of picking it up will happen at the end of the runway, at the end of the year. So the Lord said to me, do you remember she spoke by the Spirit? I said, yes, sir. He said, this story, he picked up the mantle at the end. It was the fourth part, not anywhere earlier. He said, it will be the same for you. You're going to get this in the month of December. I said, well, Lord, you better show me what this third season. I know the fourth now, but I don't know this third. And I'm, I'm asking from an honest heart. I said, Lord, what does it mean? And all he said was one thing to me. He said, ripping of the garment represents dying to the flesh. It means what is mine, my ambition, my ways, my thoughts, my ways of doing things, my me. This, is, this represents me. And he ripped what was his. He destroyed, he destroyed his way of thinking, his way of approaching, his, his confidence in himself, his, his faith in his own power, in his own goodness, and what he's done, whatever he's done that's been good, he destroyed. He said, he said, I had put no confidence. Basically, it's like the New Testament scripture that says, put no confidence in the flesh. I put no confidence in this. I rip it. I destroy it. I die to my flesh. I, I die to self. Everything of me, I don't want. All I want is that, is that anointing. Amen. I don't want mine. I want yours. Amen. Do you see what that means? So I know what it means because he said it means a dying the flesh, a dying to self. I said, but how do I do that? I said, what do I do? He didn't answer me on August the 2nd. So I know all of this wonderful stuff. The three years leading up, the plain of Jordan, the four sections. We're in, at that point, we were starting section three. But I don't know what section three means. I don't know what to do with section three. I just know that it means a time of crucifixion of the flesh. But what do I do? He didn't answer me. I know that it's coming in December, but I've got to pass this test. And what kept rising up, although he wasn't speaking specifics, is this gripping of the garment is as important as the chariot of fire. If you failed in the chariot, you wouldn't move forward. And if you fail in this, you won't move forward. You've got to pass this test, son. And that made me more nervous because the more he's emphasizing how important the tearing of the garment is, but he's not telling me how, the more I'm getting nervous that I maybe I'm going to miss it. Now, I know that sounds weird to you, but because God is a faithful, loving God. He's a daddy. He doesn't want us to miss it. But when you're in these kind of environments with God, and he's talking to you like he's talking to me it, in this kind of, I don't know how to explain it in English, but Yes, he's my loving father, but there's a lot of holy fear that I have when he talks to me about these things. I don't come at it like I'm just sitting on his lap and we're having a powwow. I come like I'm kneeling before him and I'm almost afraid of him, but in a good way. 
Like he is so amazing that he has orchestrated this and I am so nothing and I didn't even know half of it was happening as it was happening and he's now showing me and there's a deep reverence in my heart for him. And so when he's saying this, I'm reverentially saying, God, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. I know what you mean crucifixion of the flesh, but how, what do I do? Nothing. The first week goes by nothing. I'm asking him every day. The second week goes by nothing. I'm asking him every day. The beginning of the third week of August, I heard a whisper. I mean a whisper while I was praying. Not, but he didn't say anything more but a whisper. And he said, a fast is coming. I said, a fast is coming. I said, Lord, I'll fast broccoli, no problem. I said, Lord, I'll make a deal with you. I'll fast chocolate for two hours. I'll fast it for two hours for you. I said, I'll fast pizza for six hours. I mean, I'll do it. I said, a fast is coming. What does that mean? He didn't answer me. The third week passes. We come to August the 30th. And on August the 30th, early in the morning, that was a Sunday, early in the morning, I had a supernatural experience with God. My eyes were closed, but I had a, a closed vision. A man walked up to me. I believe it was Jesus, but I don't know for sure because I couldn't see his face. A man walked up to me. I could see his hands and his feet, and that's all I could see. He was holding a silver tray, and there was something on the tray. He handed the tray to me like this. When he handed the tray to me, the vision ended, and I heard the Holy Spirit in my heart say, I am offering you. Notice how kind he was, how gentle he was. He said, I am offering you to do what Jesus did. I'm offering you a 40-day fast. Will you accept it? And I started to cry a little bit because the shock of it hit me and the fear of it in some ways hit me. And yet the honor of it also hit me. And the way he was saying it was so gentle and so sweet. That hit me. And I said, Lord, of course I'm going to say yes. Lord, I, don't, I want what you want and I don't want And I'll never hurt you and I'll never reject you. If you're asking me, of course I say yes. I said, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. I said, I've only ever done three days before in Africa. And I said, that was pretty hard. I said, I don't know how I'm going to do it. But Lord, if you ask me to, I'll do it. And he spoke to me just like that. I mean, it was such a small, such a small thing. Like a, will you do it? Will you take it? But then when I accepted it, even though I did it a little bit in fear, but I accepted it. I said, yes, I'll do it. Then he spoke very strong and very clear. He said, when you tried to fast 40 days years ago, which is when I first met Jenny, he said, you did it in the flesh, which is why it didn't work. I never authored it. I wasn't in it. And that's why there was no anointing on you. And I quit about 10 days in. He said, but this is different. He said, I've authored this and I've asked you to do this. He said, because you have accepted it, he said, the, this is how he worded it, an anointing to sustain you, a sustaining anointing is coming and it will sustain you for 40 days. I'm still a little bit shaken. I'm a little bit shaking inside. Like it's not something I'm, it's not something I would ever do on my own. I'm not that spiritual. I know some of you like, oh yeah, I just fast 40 days like once every quarter. Like, you know, I'm just like, I'm just like, I'm just like I'm a man of God. Well, I guess I'm not because I don't do that kind of stuff. I don't. It's never something I would pick on my own. And when he asked me to do it, even though I know it's an honor, it still kind of made me a bit nervous. Then he said to me, you did it the first time in the flesh, but I'm authoring this and there's a sustaining anointing coming. And then he said a second statement. This all in the same early morning on the 30th. He said a second statement. He said in Africa last year, he said, what were the symptoms that you had? And I said to him, Lord, I was very cold all the time and I was very weak. 
And he, he said to me, he said, did you have a single pang of hunger in that three days? And I had to think about it for a second. And then I thought, you know what, Lord, I didn't, I didn't even realize that. But come to think of it, no, I didn't. I just felt cold and weak, but I never had. See, on a normal day, you're different maybe than me, but on a normal day, if I don't eat by a certain time, my blood sugar drops and I get nauseous. It's not just hunger pains. I actually feel like I'm going to vomit. If I don't eat, I will vomit. It's that serious. It's extreme pain for me if I don't get blood in my sugar system at a certain time. So when I went to Africa, I was very nervous about that because I figured I was going to throw up. I was going to go through a physical assault. And, and it didn't happen. There was coldness and weakness, but not one, what, not one bit of nausea, not one bit of pain, not one hunger pang. And I didn't even really realize that, to be honest with you, until he brought it to me. He said, did you have one time? And I said, no, Lord. And not, now you take it or leave, but this is what he said to me. I'm holding on to this by faith. He said to me, and as it was in Africa, so it shall be with this. You will not have one pang of hunger in 40 days. He said, you will be weak. And he said, you will be cold because that's the way your body works. He said, but you will not throw up. You will not be afraid. You will not be in pain. You will not be nauseous. He said, because the sustaining anointing was on you in Africa, that's what made the difference. See, on a regular day, the sustaining anointing is not on me. So if you don't get, if you don't take care of your physical frame, you're going to get in trouble. But when the sustaining anointing is on you, it supernaturally does what naturally you, you can't explain. So he said to me, now I know what the ripping of the garment is. He said, it's as important as not being distracted by COVID. He's asked me to do, like Jesus, in the wilderness, a 40-day fast. And when I say 40-day fast, I mean this is an extreme fast. This is not like have a candy once in a while. You know what I'm saying? He, if Jesus didn't have it, more or less, without being religious, but more or less, if Jesus didn't have it, I'm not going to have it. So I'm having water, and that's it. I'm not, and there's no vitamin supplements, there's no food, there's no preaching. So you're not going to see me for five weeks because Jesus wasn't preaching. There's no Bible school. That's why I canceled the Bible school course. That's why we haven't been announcing it. There's no coming in to see the staff. There's no seeing anybody other than my wife and children. It's complete isolation. He, I said, do you want me to be away from Jennifer and the boys? He said, he said I wasn't a husband and I wasn't a father. Yeah. Are you with me? Yes. He said, I will let you see them. But he said, you are not to touch your wife sexually for that period of time. And he took me to a verse in Corinthians, which says that you are to abstain only for the purpose of prayer and fasting. Yeah, right. Because if you do it for any other reason, then you open a door to the devil yeah. to cause temptation to come to your spouse. So he said, but in this situation, he said, you may be around her and around the children, but I don't want you doing housework. I don't want you doing dishes. I don't want you doing the lawn. I don't want you, I don't want you doing that kind of stuff, although you can be around them so that you can see them, but that's it. I don't want you to do anything with your wife. I want you to be completely isolated. This is a holy time with me. This is an isolated, holy moment with God. No staff meetings, no counseling, no coming to church, no, no talking to Pastor Nancy, no texting, no phones, no emails, no internet. My personal business is totally on hold for that period of time. Uh, nothing, no, even, even paying bills. He said, I don't want you doing any housework. I don't want you doing any stuff that you normally do. Pay your bills two months in advance. Have everything done before you start this fast. When you enter this fast, mm -hmm. 
He said, I want this to be, I'm jealous of you. I want this to be a time with me and you only without any distractions. And if you'll be faithful to this requirement, he said to me, the last 10 days are the most important of the 40. He said, and it will be, I told you it will be in the month of December. Remember he said the mantle. He said, and you will pick it up in the last 10 days. He didn't tell me which, but he said, in the last 10 day period, you will pick that up. He said, the purpose of all these years has come to a head. All the years that Elisha served was for that one moment where he, he said, Lord, thank you for the power to fulfill my ministry. Yeah. And he picked up that power represented in a cloth and he walked and he fulfilled his calling. I know this sounds very dramatic. I'm not trying to make it narcissistic or dramatic in a negative way. I'm telling you all these years from 2004 until now, before the church even existed, has all been a preparation season of 15 years. It has now been the year of 2020 where we're supposed to step into something and God has finally revealed to me how this year has played out, how it, what we have done to succeed and what this last final step is required in order to honor and pass the test that he has assigned to me so that the assignment, not just that we were separate. Now listen, everyone understand, I'm still anointed. I've always been anointed. When I say picking up the anointing, it doesn't mean that I haven't been anointed all these years. I've been preaching for 30 years. The anointing has always been on me. I'm not talking about the regular anointing to preach. I'm talking about an assignment for Toronto. When doctor saw the mantle come, he said, it is an assignment for this dark city. God has been endeavoring to bring a revival to Toronto for years. And there has been some that have started and got in the way and blocked God. He said, this anointing, this mantle, this is an assignment and this is an anointing of power so you can fulfill the plan of God in this city. It's not just an anointing to preach. I've always had that. This is something beyond that. This is something very special to God. And I've said it, but I forgot. And I'll say it again. He reminded me this week, Lorraine, that I have said it, but I have not said it in a long time. He said, do you remember what you learned and what you said in 2017? And he took me back to my old notes and I have not said it in a long time. But 2000, you think this is coincidence? You think that God doesn't work with patterns? When, when Amy Simple McPherson spoke to Willard Pierce and said, go to the shores of Ontario and bring my mantle and have, an, a, have a revival there, he arrived and started Angelus Temple North, which would, turned into Evangel Temple on Bond Street, downtown Toronto. He started it in 1917. And it was 1917 that was the year of speaking where God started telling us that a hundred years has now come full cycle and the mantle that came has come again. But I want you to notice that there was a season of time that Willard Pierce had to serve. There was a marked that happened in 1917. The revival didn't happen until some years later. And the Lord showed me, he said, just as I marked them in 17 and I've marked you a hundred years to the day. There is, was a season of preparation for them and there's a season of preparation for you. But now the season has come for you to pick it up and just to start manifesting. I mean, this is a, this is a perfect pattern. That same mantle, a hundred years ago, Jenny, 
There's things I'm not permitted to share publicly yet that he showed me that are even closer in parallel to Amy Simple McPherson and Willard Pierce and that church and that mental stuff that I couldn't make up if I tried that I can't, I'm not permitted to share it yet about what's coming in the next number of years. And I mean, the parallel is exactly perfect. Dr. Submarill always said God works in hundreds. Pay attention to the generals because they knew something we don't know. And God said to him, would you like to know when the end day is coming? When he was young, not when he was old. And he said, yes. And he said, I gave a hundred years for Noah to preach righteousness before the flood came. And he said, in the end days, the Bible says it will be like the days of Noah. And he said, I'm giving a hundred years from the time of the forerunner until the rapture. And the Lord said, he said, when does that start, Lord? And the Lord didn't answer him. But now we look at, we've, more revelation is progressing because we know who the forerunner was. Notice it wasn't from Abraham, from Noah's birth. It was from the moment Noah started preaching. And I believe with all my heart, I could be wrong and I'm fine to be wrong, but I believe and Joe Morris believes the same thing. I believe with all my heart that from the time the forerunner, which was Kenneth E. Hagin, started his pulpit ministry, the clock started. And it will be a hundred years until the rapture from that time. And you know when that happened? End of 33, early 34, 19, 33, 34. And I believe it's going to take us to 19, 2023, 33, 30. That's just my personal opinion. Because we know it's close. Now, I'm not saying that that'll happen. I'm just saying I'm watching. I, I believe we're going to see something happen. Because God, God is perfect in his patterns. But I'm not, I'm not prophesying that. I'm just saying we'll see. But what I am saying is that God works with hundreds. He worked with Noah with a hundred. Now look at this mantle. They came, they preached, they had the greatest revival in Canada's history. And then a hundred years later, it comes, the, the, the marking of it, the 2017 year started, the, the talking about it started. Because God's wanting to get us ready. Because the same way they had a revival in Toronto in the 20s, the largest revival in Canadian history, I believe this mantle is assigned for revival in Toronto. Yes. Yes. I have an anointing to preach separately. I have an apostolic anointing separately to this mantle. I've been doing it for 30 years and I'll do it for another 30 of the Lord tarries. This mantle is not just about my ability to preach under the anointing. This mantle is an assignment yes. for this city. Yes. That's why it's so holy to God. That's why you can't play games with it. That's why when he says, this was the test you have to pass and you've passed the COVID. Now there's another test you have to pass. I know it sounds extreme, son, but you do it. And if you do it, I'm going to give you that assignment. Because I've marked you for it. But like I marked Elisha, he had to do some stuff before he walked in it. Yeah. David had to do some stuff before he walked in it. You've had to do some stuff, but you're about to walk in it. Now, what does that mean for next year and the year after? I don't know fully, but I just know that the assignment for Toronto is going to ramp up. Because it's one thing to be marked with it. It's another thing to pick it up and start using it. Yeah. My God, what an exciting day we live in. We are in our 2020 Hebron mental picking up, mental moment year. It's the mental moment. It is. That's what he said to me two days ago when I was praying. He said, son, the mental moment has come. The men I haven't used that wording before, but he said it. The mental moment is upon you. The mental moment is upon you. It is, we are, you have approached the moment of the mental. Whoa, my God, I'm telling you. 
So I'm doing it. I'm, I'm setting myself aside, completely aside from everything. And believe me, it's harder than you think. There's so much going on in life. When you really start thinking about shutting down everything, yeah. everything, yeah. it's shocking how busy we are. Yeah. Everything I'm shutting down. I've taken the month of September to get used to this idea. <laughs> I've taken the month of October to prepare for this idea. And I'm starting it November the 2nd, and I go to December the 11th. Thank God he let me pick the date, Lorraine, because I want Christmas turkey. <laughs> Glory to God. I said, Jesus, don't rob me of Thanksgiving or, or Christmas, please. I need to eat some birds. But he said, you pick the date, but make sure it ends in December. So I've picked, I've picked, he didn't pick it, but I've picked November 2nd to December the 11th. That's 40 days. That, now I'm asking you as a congregation, would you please please pray about what God would have you do. I don't think you should do 40 days until, unless he speaks very clearly to you because I can rest and focus, but you have jobs and you need to use great wisdom with your physical frame. But just, I'm not telling you to do what I'm doing, but I'm saying, I don't think when Moses went up for 40 days and nights, what happened? They all partied. And he came down, he beat them over the head with those, with those tablets. Bang! <laughs> Not that I'll do that. But anyway, um, the, the point is, is that God was displeased with the party atmosphere while the man of God was seeking him. So when the, when the cats are away, the cat is away. I don't want the mice to play. I want the mice to pray, but not to play. So Jenny and Taylor are going to help cover everything. We don't have any guest speakers coming, but they're going to cover all 16 services. I've left it in my wife's hand to decide how to divvy that up. And I'm asking you to keep coming to church. I'm asking you to keep being faithful, to not stop your tithing in my absence. And more than all the regular stuff you do, I'm asking you to pray, God, what, would I, what is my part to play in this season of fasting and prayer? Do you want me to fast one day or maybe fast one day a week or maybe fast breakfast for 40 days or maybe fast television or maybe fast Twinkies? I don't know. You figure it out. But God would have everybody do something. I don't think God would want me to go up and everybody else do nothing. I don't think that would be honorable to him. And I think if you're part of, if you fast or do some kind of praying and fasting with me, you'll feel connected. You'll get into unity with me. You'll feel a part of the vision. Like, Lord, I'm doing my part. He's doing his part. I'm doing my part. And all together, we're, all, we're honoring you for the season of the plain of Jordan. Yes, Glory to God. Glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't cry for me, Argentina. You can pray for me, but don't cry for me because I'm not crying for myself. It's a great honor to be asked of Jesus to do this. And that's how I'm looking at it. I'm not looking at what I'm losing. I'm looking at what I'm gaining. But do it with me. As I close, I want to share just a couple very quick things that the Lord said to me this week about this 12th anniversary. And it would be a remiss if I didn't say it on the actual day. He showed me something I'd never seen, Jenny that those children of Israel came through Jordan, which represents our 19. And did you know what they did as soon as they crested that Jordan and they got on the other side of that Jordan, which represents the plain of Jordan, which represents, you know, with Elisha, it represents our 2020 year. They put a memorial of 12. They took 12 stones, they put it in the water and the water covered it. Then they put 12 stones in their camp on the other side of Jordan. Our other side of Jordan represents 2020. They set up a memorial of 12. And I thought that's very interesting because we've come through our 19 year into our 20 year and we're setting up a memorial of 12 because we're 12 years old. 
Now, then the Lord said this to me. Now, I'm going to be very careful how I say this because I don't want to be offensive but I, to anybody that might watch. But I'm telling you, I heard God tell me. He said, do you know how Lester Sumrall said that unless a church is 10 years old, it is not a real church. It's a baby. I said, yes, Lord. He said, it's not 10 years old. It's 12 years old. Now, I'm very careful because you say that because that's what is far greater than me and wiser than me. But I said, Lord, was he wrong? And the Lord said it to me this way. He said, no, as a bare minimum, it's 10 years old. But he said, my word dictates it at 12. So you go with my word. I said, Lord, show me where in your word it dictates 12. And he took me to a scripture in Revelation where it says, and I saw the foundation stones of the new Jerusalem and they were named after the apostles of God and there were 12 of them. And the Lord said 12 always represents the number of foundation and it also represents the number of government having been established, not government being started. If you study the Bible, when you see 12, it means the government or the system of a thing has been established. It also means the foundation is now set. That's why there are 12 foundation stones because the new Jerusalem is set upon 12. There's 12 tribes because the nation is established in 12 sections. And he said to me, you can take it or leave it, but he said to me, he said the number that a church has to graduate from 10 is the minimum, but he said the number in my word that says a foundation or a government system has been set is the number 12. And he said, your church, now look at the symbolism of this. He said, your church at 12 has finally, the foundation is finally set. The government, the system has been established. And he said, now you are ready to build. Now, isn't this interesting that as soon as the 12 has been completed, which is tonight, right on the heels of that, we enter into our last part of this 2020 year to get that mantle which is going to help build this church. It's like we said it, Rob, that anointing comes to help us with the assignment to build. Praise God. I have to say that on the 12th anniversary because it would not be right to wait till this Sunday. This is the foundation setting moment. Twelve years ago tonight, we put the first, we, we put our shovel and we got the first shovel of dirt out. And we've been shoveling dirt, getting it ready, pouring concrete and rebar. And it's been a long drawn out process under the ground. You know, with the big wall around so that none of, the, none of the pedestrians can see what the workers are doing. And it's kind of like we've been hidden and it's kind of like it's not very exciting and nobody's shouting and yeah, It's just, just a very laborsome, dirty, unexciting process. But when that 12th year of the foundation being laid, now it's season ends. Now we start building upon that foundation. And that's when they take the wall away and everybody can see the buildings start going up. You couldn't make that up. At the time the foundation has been established, immediately we step into picking up that anointing. And that anointing for next year and the years to come is going to help build this ministry. Why? Because it's an anointing specifically for this city. And people that are going to come to our church are most likely going to come from this city. They're not going to come from Vancouver. They're going to come from this city. 
So this, no, this mantle directly affects our congregation. And the surging, I don't have my, my other bracelets at home, we have a dramatic, a dramatic influx of divine joinings. That dramatic influx it's the building of divine joinings who God brought. And we surge forward. Remember that? That day's coming. But it starts tomorrow. Because today is our 12-year foundation laying. It's done. And it starts tomorrow. In the spirit, it starts tomorrow. It's not going to take full force until January, and it's going to remember October, November, December, always overlapping months in our, the way God uses us in patterns. But it always starts in October. We kind of get used to it for three months, and then in January, the thing hits. Yeah. And I'm telling you, this is a very important night. Twelve years, honey. Twelve years. We've had a foundation laying time. I want to thank you for those that have helped me lay the foundation and been faithful to the foundation laying time. It's never as exciting as the building time, but it's so important. Why, Lorraine? Because when the storm comes, when the foundation is strong, the building will not rock. It will stand. When the devil's attacks come, the political attacks come, and this attack comes, and that attack comes, we stand strong in the storm because our foundation has been laid. Do you remember I, I would pray over our church, early birds, the ones that were here? Yeah. I would pray over our church, the Isaiah scriptures, the Jeremiah scriptures, and I would say, promise of life, remember, because they prophesied over Jerusalem, and they said, be thou inhabited, be thou built, and let thy foundation be laid. I would say that for years. Promise of life, let your foundation be laid. Be built and be established. See, we've been saying, foundation be laid, foundation be laid. And finally, last week he said to me, I didn't, I didn't connect that. He said, son, this is your 12th anniversary. 12 is the number of foundation. It is a time when it's been, you're no longer a baby church. You're now moving into another season, another season of increase, another season of responsibility, another season of the mantle, which is about to come, another season of anointing. You're moving into a building season now, not a foundation season because the foundation has been laid. Your 12 month is, your 12 year is that marker. And that's tonight. Praise God. So I don't think you could make this up. You can't make this up. This is not me making this up. This is God revealing it to us. Yeah. Heavenly Father, I praise you. I glorify your holy name. I thank you so much. I know I'm taking my time tonight, but Lord, tonight is a very special night for me. And I just want you to know, Father, how much I love you. How grateful I am that for these 12 foundation-laying years, you've held our hand through the whole thing. You've brought me the best staff and the best congregation a pastor could ever ask for. And right now, as we start a new season, Lord, even the bar mitzvah is 12, marking the end of childhood, and 13, the beginning of adulthood in the Jewish culture. It's like the end of our childhood phase of a church is marked by the end of 12, and now in our 13th year, we start something greater. We start another phase. We start another level. We start a building instead of a foundation only. And Lord, it's not coincidence that that mantle could not come until the foundation had been laid. Now the foundation is laid. Now we're at the end of this year. We step in and we pick up that anointing. And next year we start walking in that anointing. And the years to come, we keep walking in that anointing. And that anointing for Toronto will surely come to pass. 
And Lord, you will do what this revival in Toronto, like you said, at the right time you'll do it. And we'll be right in the middle of it because of that mantle. And Lord, you'll build this church like you said you'd build it because the foundation season is over and the building season is about to start. Lord, I thank you for it. I give you all the praise for every day that has occurred from October 8th, 2007 till October 20, 2007, uh, to October 7th, 2020. Lord, this 12-year period, I give you praise for every day that has happened and for all the wonders that you've done and the miracles that you've done and the faithfulness that you've showed us. Lord, for all the congregation members that are not here tonight, they want to be, but they're not allowed because of the restrictions. Lord, I thank you for them. I thank you for the ones that are here. I thank you for the faithful ones that are running in Hebron with me, running with the vision, running and not slowing down or being distracted, running and now not just running, but learning to self, to sacrifice and to die to self as this year comes to a close. Father, we praise you for it. I give you all the glory for the great things that you have done. Jenny, come here, stand with me. Give me your hand quickly. Father, I give you, we lift up our hands to you, Father, as the pastors of this church, and I give you all the glory and all the praise for everything you have accomplished in this 12 years. We are humbled and honored at you, at your love for us and at your faithfulness to us. Lord, thank you for the anointing and the strength to move now into the next season of our existence, this building phase, this Hebron phase. <laughs> Hallelujah. Everything before Hebron was foundation, but now we enter into our true purpose. Now we're not marked only, but now we step in to execute that mantle. Now we begin not just found founding, but now we begin building. We commit ourselves and we commit our children and we commit this congregation to you during this next phase. And we lift you up high, Jesus. And we thank you that you'll give us the anointing and the strength and the wisdom and the knowledge and the clarity to know exactly what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Congratulations, Promise of Life, on 12 years.